Welcome, Nexus Church Online family, to our series in the book of Mark, simply titled Mark. Over the course of this year, we've been taking a look at the book of Mark, and over this summer, we've simplified it and taken it piece by piece and examined what exactly it looks like to follow after Jesus. I love the book of Mark. It is full of stories. It's full of teachings that Jesus did for us, his followers. And it is my hope and prayer that as you followed along and listened on your own, that this encourages you, challenges you, and maybe even brings you some comfort in your life in this world that we find ourselves in. And so if you would like more information about uh, who we are as Nexus Church or would like to give online, uh, you can go to nexuschurchmn.com. Uh, that's all one word, nexuschurchmn.com. And we'll have all the information there for you. Uh, you can also follow us along on Facebook if you are on Facebook at Nexus Church MN. You can also uh, email us at nexuschurchmn.com at gmail.com, Facebook messages, uh, do whatever works for you so that we can connect and help you in your journey in following Jesus. Enjoy today's message. Welcome back, Nexus Church family online to another week in our series in the book of Mark. Today's message is simply titled, Speak. It comes from Mark Chapter 6, verses 14 through 29, where Jesus gives an account of a man. A man who stood and spoke truth to those who would listen. In fact, even to those who wouldn't listen, which ended up getting him in trouble in the end. And that is John the Baptist. We'll also be taking a look at a prophet from the Old Testament named Amos, who as well spoke for God. And from these two men, very normal men, we'll come to understand that everyone, in fact, is called to speak for God, to be a prophet for God in a sense. And so, if you would turn with me to Mark chapter 6, if you want to follow along in a Bible or if you just want to listen as I read for you today from the book of Mark chapter 6, starting with verse 14. King Herod heard about it, all that Jesus had been doing, of course, because Jesus' name had become well known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. And that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he's Elijah. Still others said, he's a prophet like one of the prophets from long ago. Herod heard of it. He said, John, the one I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had been given orders to arrest John and chain him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias held a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not 
because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing he was a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard him, he would be very perplexed and yet liked to listen to him. An opportunity time came on his birthday when Herod gave a banquet for his nobles, military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. When Herodias' own daughter came and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. The king asked and said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. He promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. What an opportune time. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? <laughs> didn't take her long. John the Baptist's head, she said. At once she hurried to the king and said, I want you to give me John the Baptist's head on a platter immediately. Although the king was deeply distressed because of his oaths and the guests, he did not want to refuse her. The king immediately sent for an executioner and commanded him to bring John's head. So he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When John's disciples heard about it, they came and removed the corpse and placed it in a tomb. So in Israel, we have this confusion going on with Jesus doing mighty things and proclaiming so many amazing truths and, and converting so many people to become his followers and continuing to heal and now raising a couple of people from the dead. Uh, he was gaining such momentum. There was confusion about who he was. If you were with us last time, we understood that there was a, a fallout in places, in fact, of, of people who were jealous of him. He was causing commotion. He was causing all this, this misunderstanding, and, and they weren't understanding how could this, this carpenter's son be such a powerful force. He had no track record. He had no history. He had no training. He was just a carpenter. And so they were confused. <laughs> they doubted him. And so they did the only logical thing in their mind they could do. They just said, ah, this is John the Baptist resurrected, I guess. I mean, he was only a few years younger, right? Like barely a year separated them. And so they made this thought that it must be John the Baptist or John the Baptist resurrected. And so Herod, hearing this, he was, he was so encouraged because for him, John the Baptist was somebody he looked up to. He revered. He wanted to, to listen to him all the time. Even though there was this confusion, he had this, this, this yearning for what John was speaking. And so he gets excited. Now, Mark goes into this in a rather... <laughs> I would say PG-13 level, maybe even borderlining a little rated R because you're talking about his own wife's daughter giving a, what would be considered pretty lewd in our world today, even still, as she danced. Now, we don't know exactly how she danced or what she was wearing, but it 
made people pretty excited. So much so that John was executed. You see, we know that John spoke the truth. John didn't back down. John stayed to his guns. And when he called out Herod, he knew that he'd taken a risk. Herod was a powerful man. And when he says, you're dead, you're dead, right? So John knew. And so when he, he approaches and he says, it's not okay for you to have your brother's wife. This is wrong in the eyes of God. This is going to cause you much harm. It got him to listen. But here's where Herod and John were different. You see, John didn't back down. He had an opportunity to back down. He didn't back down from truth. But when Herod had the opportunity to stick up for John, stick up for what he knew was right, that he was hearing, that he was just longing to, to, to get a hold of when push came to shove, when, when he had his officials standing around and his wife beckoning, Herod, a strong man, a man who could say anything he wanted, everybody would have to listen, even his own wife, even those listening in the party. But he was a coward. He had the opportunity to do what was right. He had an opportunity to say, no, this is wrong. You're backstabbing me, woman. I'm standing up for a man who I believe is right. He had done nothing wrong. He'd only proclaimed the truth. But Herod backed down. But even though he backed out, notice something that, that verse 26 said. He was deeply distressed. Now, this is the same word used by Jesus in, in Mark 14, 34, and in Matthew 26, 38, where, where Jesus is in, the, is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is there in this perplexed state because he knew what was about to happen, and he's praying, and he's asking the Father to, to take away what was about to happen, his crucifixion, right? It, he was deeply distressed. He was sweating. What Luke says, drops of blood. We're pouring down. This is the same word that, that Mark uses for how, how Herod was feeling in the moment when he looks to his crowd, his guests. He looks at his stepdaughter, we're assuming, and he hears those words, I want John's head on a platter. He was deeply distressed. He knew that John was an innocent man. He wanted him to stay alive. In fact, it was only because of Herod, that Herodias hadn't taken his life already because she was so angry at him. But Herod backed down. What a contrast in characters, right? One, we had Herod allowing others to guide him, to, to tell him what was true. 
And then we have John the Baptist, who stood for truth no matter what. You see, he was a prophet. He spoke the truth to those who needed to hear. And that's exactly what a prophet is. A prophet is, is one who delivers God's truth. Right? Now, it could be directly from God's word. We read God's word and we see what's happening in somebody's life and we say, whoa, 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 brother, sister, this, this is what God's word says. What you are doing is wrong. It goes against God's, God's path for you. It's going against what God has ordained as the best way for you to live. You're going the wrong direction. Or it could be a message that God gives you through time of talking to him or maybe a vision that you get from God and you know it's from God because it, it lines up with what God's word would say even though it doesn't specifically say this thing you know that it lines up with God's word. And so God gives it to you through the power of the Holy Spirit to deliver to others or to a person. Right? We see this. Turn to uh, 2 Peter uh, 2.20. I'll read it for you if you're just listening along. 2 Peter uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 20. I have it wrong in the notes there. It's 1, verse 20. And here is what Peter is saying to his listeners. Above all, know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what gives the words to speak to others. It's not mine, it's not yours, it's delivered directly from God through us. And we know with confidence that it's for the other person. Why? Because we've spent time with God and we're sure that he's not going to misguide us. He's not going to lead us astray. And when we're speaking to him and we're in great relationship with him, we know that it's not our own conscience or our own will or our own thoughts. It is God's thoughts. And I, I know that's confusing because I know so many people are like, I don't know if it's God or if it's me. I, I don't want to mess this up for God. Man, if you are spending time with God listening to him, I can guarantee you it is a word from God to someone else if it is given to you in your time of connection with him. So God's word or his direct message through you to somebody else is what a prophet is. It's how we speak for God. We deliver his truth. That's what a prophet is. Now, there is a, a, a section of, of God's body. and We read in, in 1 Corinthians, we read it in Romans, that there is, there's, a, there's a special function in the church body that is considered a prophet that directly speaks for God at a, as a kind of like a, a special gift that has been given with power and enthusiasm through the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. But, but the prophet that I'm speaking of is one that, that is for all of us. We're all called to speak for God. This isn't just something for, for that one special person or for a pastor or a missionary, whatever you want to think of it is. It's for everybody. And I want to show you this in the book of Amos. Amos was a man like you and I, an ordinary man, right? And he spoke for God. 
and I'll show you why he was just an ordinary man. It'll come up as we're reading from Amos chapter 7, verses 7 through 15. And so here's Amos uh, kind of writing his, his engagement with God down, right? He writes, he showed me this. The Lord was standing there by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. The Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? I replied, a plumb line. Now, if you don't know what a plumb line is, it's kind of like a, a leveling tool that, that carpentry workers will use. And it's kind of, it stretches out and then you can see with this little tiny gadget on top, whether something is level or not, right? And sometimes you don't need the level. You can just string it really nice and tight, and then you can see if something is wavering or dipping down. Pretty brief example of what that might be. And then the Lord said, I'm setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will no longer spare them, right? He's creating this, uh, this I guess, a picture of of what he is doing. He's, he's judging his nation, his chosen people. And he's like, I'm watching to see who's in line with my will. He goes on to say, Isaac high, Isaac's high places will be deserted and Israel's sanctuaries will be in ruins. I will rise up against the house of Jeroboam with a sword, right? So here is God speaking directly to Amos, what Amos is supposed to speak to Israel, right? A warning, if you don't listen, this is what's going to happen. And in fact, I'm setting it in place right now, right? So here comes the priest. And Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent word to King Jeroboam of Israel saying, Amos has conspired against you right here in the house of Israel. The land cannot endure all his words, for Amos has said this, Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will certainly go into exile from its homeland. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go away, you seer, or prophet. Flee to the land of Judah. Earn your living and give your prophecies there. Get out of our town. We don't want to hear this garbage you have to tell us, right? Don't ever prophesy at Bethel again, for it is the king's sanctuary and royal temple. Now listen to what Amos says. So Amos answered Amaziah, I was not a prophet or the son of a prophet. Rather, I was a herdsman and I took care of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock and said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. <laughs> right? So here we have this, this beautiful picture of, of what it means to have God speak to you, right? In, in this passage, Amos says, God showed me. He, he told me. He asked me. Right? God is speaking to him directly. Like they're having a conversation. Now, I realize that God doesn't necessarily verbally speak to us, but, but we can have that conversation in our spirit with him. And he can speak to us, guide us, show us, direct us. And then God filled them with what to say. And like John, he was obedient no matter what to tell the truth, right? He's getting the high priest, like the man who could kick him out of the land, out of, out of the church in that time, against him. And he was conspiring to get the king to do even like he did to John, kill him, 
like Herod did to John, kill him. But notice Amos' response when his priests ratted him out. Right? What, what did it say at the end? I was a herdsman and took care of sycamore figs. I was a nobody. I was just doing my work, right? I'm, I'm nothing special. Don't you get it? Like, this wasn't something I asked for. God spoke to me, and I had to do what God told me. Because I will not be disobedient to my God. He is worthy of my everything, and I will give it to him. He was a nobody. John, what, what do we know about John? You go back to Mark 1, right away in the book of Mark, and he points out that John was wearing pretty much nothing, right? Very little. He was a nobody. And he ate locusts and wild honey. He was just a servant. A nobody. You see, I want you to get this today. Hear me out. God uses the highly unlikely. It is throughout Scripture. God takes what everybody says is supposed to be the least of these. And he props them up to be something special. In fact, sometimes he even warns like Israel. Their first king, they wanted a king. He's like, you don't want this. You don't want this. And they're like, oh, this is Saul. He's awesome. He's beautiful. He's handsome. He's above all else. He is a manly man. We want him. And God's like, no. No, don't look for that. You're looking at the wrong thing. It's not about stature. It's not about, about strength or wisdom. Or, or where you're at in society, it's about the heart. I'm looking for the heart. And who does God propel every single time? The lowly, the nobodies. And this world keeps scratching its head. The church even scratches its head like, How? why? We need them to be the best of the best. The greatest presenters. The, the, the most well-known. We want to prop them up on the stage because they're going to gain a lot of following and people listen to them. And God's like, no, it's not about people. Stop it. It's not about what you attain or the gifts or skills you have. It's what you have inside. It's your heart. And so over and over we see God using these kinds of people. And that's what God wants to use today. He wants to use those who are humble and obedient. He's not looking for the rich and famous. He's looking for those who will rely on God. I love how Matt Chandler put it. He's a man who's been humbled. He was obviously a pastor of a very large gathering, if you know Matt Chandler. And then he went through a massive cancer. Uh, it should have almost died, in fact. And God brought him through it. I believe it was brain cancer, if I remember right. And God brought him through it. And on the other end, he looks around at all he has, and he's like, this is not how we do church. We, we, need, to, we need to break this down. It, it's about family, creating family. But he said, God is awesome. He doesn't need you to be awesome. He needs you to be obedient. I want to say this as clear as I can today. You are called to speak truth for God. You are a prophet. Again, if you call Jesus Christ your Savior, you 
are a prophet. You are called to speak for God. This isn't just a, you should. This isn't a, add that to the other things you need to do in life. No, this is who you are. This is you. If you have given your life up to Jesus, he is asking you to speak for him. You are the number one tool for, for God to use to change the world. Listen, listen to some of these, these passages that, I, that I'm going to read to you in a second, right? Because I get it. I get it. I, I'm, I'm not an evangelist. Like, I want the world to be saved. I, I, I desperately want my neighbors, I want my city to come to know Jesus. I want my family to know Jesus. But, but, but I don't go around asking people, are you following Jesus? Uh, have you given your life to him? I, th- th- that's not my gift set. That's, that's not innate in me. But if I call myself a Christian, I am called share Jesus with others, to speak truth, to be an Amos, to be a John the Baptist. So listen to First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 24. Declare his glory among the nations, his wondrous works among all people. Right, this goes way back to David, right? David is, is, he's proclaiming this. This is like a, a, a psalm, if you will, a song of thanksgiving to God. And in the end, he's like, this is what you're called to do, followers of God. And at that time, it was Israel. You are to declare his glory among the nations. Like, it's just not for you, Israel. This is for all the world, right? His wondrous works among all people. You are to be the light to the world. You're to display God's glory. You're to speak it out through your actions, through what you do, and also through how you speak. We're to show the glory of God. And then we get to the New Testament, and then Jesus comes onto the scene, and the very last words after he had he died and he rose from the grave and he was about to go back to heaven to be with the Father and to send the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost for us to have power. Listen to what he says, very clear. I love how Mark put it. All right, this is the, the great commission, right? This is Mark's version of it. I love it because it's straight to the point. Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That is who you are. You are called by God to proclaim the gospel, the good news that Jesus died so we can have a relationship with the Father. That is who you are. That is what you're called to do. So how do you speak for God? How do you get that? Because I don't have that just naturally flowing out of me. How do you, how do I speak for God? Right? When, when God called me into the family of God, I was barely a teenager, right? It was right in the middle of my teenage years. I just started working at a grocery store. I was, I was a, a beggar at a grocery store. I stocked shelves. I was a part-time teenager. That's what God called me out of. I was just like Amos. I was a nobody. I was like John the Baptist. I'm just, I'm just here, right? How, how do 
we get power no matter if we are a grocery store worker or if we're a CEO of a, of a business. How do we speak for God with power that will change the world? We do exactly what Amos and John the Baptist did, right? We spend time knowing God. We spend time getting on our faces before him, letting his Holy Spirit speak to us, and bring, picking up his book and reading it. That, that is how we speak for God. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks through us when we, when we take time and we allow him to speak to our hearts. That's how we speak for God. That's how we change the world. It's no different in our day than it was in Amos's day, in John the Baptist's day. We need to stand for truth. We, we keep saying well, we, need, we need America to come back to God. Friends, if we want America to come back to God or whatever nation you may be listening from, if you want that nation to come back to God, it happens because of you. It happens because of me. Because we stand and we don't, we don't fight culture. We simply proclaim the gospel. That's it. We tell them that I don't care what your sin is or what you're doing, right? I don't care if you're a murderer, if you're doing drugs. I don't care if you've lied on your taxes for the last 10 years. I, I don't care if you cheated on a test or told one silly little lie that didn't affect anybody. The fact of the matter is one sin separates us from God. And the only way this nation, this world can come Back to God is if somebody says, you need Jesus to forgive you of your sins. That is it. That is the only way we will see change in this world. But it's all on you. It's all on me. Will we stand up and speak the truth? The only way we can speak the truth is if we know the truth. Get in God's word. Spend time in his presence. I understand you are busy. I get it. I go through seasons where I get through it and I'm like, man, I, I'm done. And maybe that's where you're at right now. Maybe you're in a good place. I just want to close our time together praying for you. And asking God to give you time to take you to the place where you are desperate for him. And so, Father, I pray for my, my friend listening right now, wherever he or she is at in her, his or her walk with you. God, I just pray you will come down right now and you will give them the strength, the courage, the wisdom in the way they need to make time for you. God, our greatest purpose in life, our sole purpose in life truly, is to give you glory, to show your glory to the world around us, to speak the truth that Jesus saves and makes us right with God. So I pray for that 
that person right now who's listening, who's saying, I, I, I don't know how to even begin. God, you show them the way. And Father, today, will they take time to be with you? And may you speak to them in that time. It is time for them to stand for you. To put you as the priority in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Nexus Church family, for joining us today. We'll see you again soon.